Pastor Xavier Reese with a simple truth of Easter, that God is the rewarder for those that diligently seek Him. You see, Easter Sunday was characterized by an empty tomb, which was misunderstood. One can believe God's Word without understanding what God promised or declares. That's faith. I believe God's Word because it's God's Word is infallible, it's inerrant, it's His revelation. I don't have to understand it completely. What he says is absolute truth. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We like full. We want a full bank account, a full tank of gas in the car, a full stomach, and so on. But a key simple truth of the Scripture is that in many cases we find fullness and completeness in emptiness. We find exaltation in grace when we empty ourselves of self. But the greatest fullness man can ever experience is the fullness of life that we have because of the empty tomb. And coming up, Pastor Xavier illustrates the empty tomb is the cornerstone of our faith, our peace, our joy, and our hope. Let's listen. Have you ever misunderstood something thinking that it was the worst thing that ever happened to you when in fact it um, turned out the biggest blessing? Such was the case on Easter Sunday. Three days had passed. Many had seen their hope crushed, their dreams shattered. Since Jesus had been crucified, buried, and um, no one has seen him yet. It's kind of like the two men on the road to Emmaus that Luke 24 tells us as Jesus veiled their sight, but they were just lost and crushed. Because see, if Jesus wouldn't have risen from the dead, then he would have been just another religious man. He would have had disciples and followers, but really, they would have died without any hope like anybody else. But out of love and respect, some came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. Let me read our text for us. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus lay. Then they said to their woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have lain him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the door was shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sight. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. And the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Easter Sunday was characterized by three things in our text here. First, the empty tomb, verse 1 through 10. Second, the empty woman, 11 through 18. And thirdly, the empty disciples in verse 19 through 23. The empty tomb was an absolute essential. This is the key. Notice verse 1 and 2. Mary Magdalene misunderstood the empty tomb. Mary was the first of the tomb, by the way. She came on the first day, Sunday. The church always has met on Sunday, the first day. Book of Acts makes that very clear. Paul writes to the Corinthians, the first day of the week. She came early in the morning while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Uh, Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Luke 24, in the beginning verses, all tell us this. Other women came with Mary also, Salome and the other Mary. Again, the other synoptics tell us very clearly. So you got to put Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, and you get a full picture of all that happened. Those differences are not contradictions any more than four witnesses of a crime scene would be contradictory. They give supplementary information so you can put the case together and get a clear picture. Now, as they're going to the tomb, their conversation was, who's going to roll away that stone? And as they're thinking and conversing about this, though it was a legitimate concern to an extent, it's huge. Some of you have been to Israel, you've been there, that Gordon's Calvary, the tomb where the big rock is put over the face of the cave. There's no way you're going to move that with not a couple of women. But what they didn't know, an earthquake had already taken place, and the angel had rolled away the stone. Again, Matthew 28, 2, Mark 16, 3, and Luke 24, who tells us things that will never happen, and yet we worry about them. But at least we worry, right? God said he was going to rise from the dead. Jesus didn't say, now make sure you guys are early in the morning there so you can roll away the stone so I can get out. Mary ran to tell two of the disciples, John tells us here in verse 2. First she came to Peter. Remember, Peter had denied the Lord, and I'm sure in his mind he still had that last meeting when his eyes met the eyes of Jesus, and he denied him for the third time, and the rooster crowed, and he wept down. He went out bitterly. I didn't do it. Just that guilt, that shame. Jesus would speak to him directly very soon. 
She came to the other disciple. This is John, the one who Jesus loved. The one who was at the cross, the only disciple at the cross. The one who um, saw Jesus from afar off with the women. She came and told them both, someone has carried away the Lord's body. I don't know where they've lain him. And yet Peter and John, hearing this, they have to go see for themselves. They inspected the empty tomb in verse 3 through 8. In verse 3 through 4, the two disciples, notice, went out to the tomb. And Luke tells us both of them left at the same time. John outruns Peter to the tomb. Either he was faster or he was younger, one of the two. The two men inspected the tomb in verse 5 through 8. And John stooped down and he looked in and he saw the linen clothes lying there. These are the bandages where they wrapped the body together. The word stoop in our text means to bend down and to look forwards to get a better view. It's a very picturesque description of what the angels do desiring to look into the things that God has for the church in 1 Peter 1.12. You see, angels don't know the future. They only see the history of man unfolding one day at a time, and they stoop down to look to see what God is doing in his church, Peter tells us. Same word. And the word that is used for looking in and what he saw is the word that means to see at a glance or a single look, a snapshot, boom. It registers. Notice John did not go in. Perhaps he thought he didn't want to be ceremonially defiled. You enter in where there's a dead body, you become ceremonially defiled. But Peter, he enters right into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes, lotus in verse 6, lying there also. Peter's usually real impulsive. He just does things. He stepped out and walked on the water. He's always asking questions. We learn a lot from the life of Peter. We're like, like him sometimes. And sometimes he's an encouragement to us that we step out a little more. The word for saw means to look closely, critically, in order to inspect. Remember, they haven't seen or heard from Jesus. But he said he would rise. Peter was not hesitant because he had not forgotten that last look of Jesus, I'm sure. I think when they locked eyes, it was a, a look of compassion because Jesus could see his brokenness of heart. Because try as you may, and you say, I will never do that again. If you are not filled with God's spirit and his word, you will do it again. You and your strength and I can do nothing. You and I must be thoroughly convinced of that. That's why when we fail, we're convicted because we know we didn't have to fall, but we chose to fall. And we know we have a gracious God and we go to him, but it convicts us. It humbles us. You saw the face cloth there that had been around the head of Jesus separate from the linen cloth by itself, unusual. Luke verifies this in Luke 24, 12. And the phrase folded together means undisturbed as if the body was still there. So this was a true miracle because if you remove the body, the bandages just flop. It's still intact. The conclusion being that no one had stolen the body. No one could leave the wrappings as such if that was the case. They'd have to undo them all. So the evidence, like a good detective, demonstrates and 
concludes no one stole it. There's no way. In verse 8, John also entered the tomb now. This time John saw and believed. The word saw there is different from the one in verse 5 and 6. It means to know, to be aware, to be sure he had risen. Everybody's different. You were somewhere and somebody preached the gospel to you or told you about Jesus. And you didn't believe, ah, you know, you're religious, I don't know the Bible, whatever. And all of a sudden, at a set time, at a set point, boom, you believe. You believe that Jesus was God. You believe that he died for your sins. You believe that you would be judged one day by the grace of God, the illuminating, convicted work of the Spirit of God. Not because you're so smart. This is what happened to John. The result was that he believed the error's tense, indicating a decisive act, not a process. And that's how it happens. You're listening, you're being ministered unto, but all of a sudden, in one thousand of a second, boom, everything becomes real. You know that you know, and you can't stay the same. You've got to make a decision for the first time. Notice in verse 9 through 11, John comments on the empty tomb. The two disciples did not know the scriptures that Jesus must rise again from the dead. The understanding of spiritual truths is not a matter of intellectual capacity, as I said earlier, but a matter of revelation and faith. Both did not perceive nor understand at this point the full meaning of the scriptures. And in the context, it refers to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You say, how can that be? Well, there's no contradiction that John saw and believed in verse 9. One can believe God's word without understanding what God promised or declares. That's faith. I believe God's word because it's God's word is infallible, it's inerrant, it's his revelation. I don't have to understand it completely. What he says is absolute truth. When it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, he's not trying to persuade me. He's telling me what he did. My responsibility is, am I going to believe it or reject it? And yet there's so much evidence that Jesus does give us through the scriptures, but not at all times. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Those that come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith has to lead me back to the biblical revelation. That's how I know my faith is biblical. I believe what God said. Not apart from it, not in contradiction, not in addition, but only what God says. It doesn't mean I have to understand it completely to its full end. In fact, I don't have to understand it at all. I just have to make a decision, is this God speaking inerrantly, infallibly, or is this just a book like any other? The two disciples went home, verse 10. You see, Easter Sunday was characterized by an empty tomb, which was misunderstood. Secondly, the empty woman is presented to us, verse 11, through 18. In 11 to 13, Mary was consumed with her sorrow. If you're human, then you have known sorrow. All of us will know sorrow, some of us more than others. Mary stands in contrast to the two disciples that went home by the word but. <laughs> Mary stood outside the tomb weeping and sobbing as she stooped and looked in. It was the disciples that abandoned Jesus except for John at the cross. All the women were at the cross. It was the women who were first at the cross. Solomon, Mary, the other Mary. Mary sees two angels in verse 12. They were in white. 
The examination of the other Gospels will show that angels were seen at different times and in different manners throughout the visitations to the tomb, so there's no contradiction. The one that rolled away the stone had the nerve to sit on the stone and wait for them, and we'll see some other ones as we move along. One sat here now at the head inside the tomb, and the other at the foot of the, where the body laid. A beautiful fulfillment of the Old Testament. You remember the Ark of the Covenant. There was a mercy seat on top of it with a little crown of gold all the way around. On one end was a cherub, the other one another cherub, with their wings crossed looking down the center. That was the place where the high priest would meet God once a year and the glory, the Shekinah glory would be manifested. What do you have here? You have the two angels. What do you see in between them? The Shekinah glory. He's risen from the dead. If there was a body there, it would have been a bummer. <laughs> There's no body. Thank God for that. Mary is mildly rebuked by the angels in verse 13. They addressed her with respect, woman. They asked her, why are you weeping? Luke says that they said, why do you seek the living among the dead in Luke 24, 5? She tells the angels they most likely the Jews had taken away her Lord and she didn't know where they had laid him. Later on, the chief priest would bribe the soldiers at the tomb and say that they were to say that the disciples had stolen the body while they were sleeping. And if Pilate got wind of it, they would intercede for them. Well, that would be a lie, but they did take the money because they would be put to death anyway. But isn't it interesting that no matter how dangerous the chance might be, if we're greedy, the money will always win out? And it really doesn't have to be much. Verse 14 and 15, Mary was blinded by her sorrow. She turned around, not impressed nor excited about the angels, because when you're looking for Jesus, angels are no big deal. Jesus created them. They're messengers for the earth of salvation. She turned and saw Jesus standing there, and she didn't know that it was he. Verse 14, Jesus said to Mary, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She was so consumed in her sorrow, she supposed Jesus was the gardener. Now, Jesus veiled the eyes of those in the road to Emmaus. And here again, we don't know why. But he did it for a set time. She began to declare to him that if he had carried Jesus away, to tell her where he had laid him, that she would take him away. Five times she uses the personal pronoun him in this verse, a sign of her love for her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, fervent love has no limitations. She was willing to carry this dead body which would have been an impossibility. But you know, when you love someone, it doesn't matter what has to be done or how impossible it may seem. You step up to bat with the greatest motive, love. That's the greatest motive. In verse 16 through 18, Mary then was comforted in her sorrow. Jesus calls out to Mary, and she addresses him, Rabboni, which John interprets for us, Teacher, verse 16. Mark tells us Jesus appeared first to Mary again 
in Mark 16, 19, that's confirmation. And she was possessed with seven demons. Now, the Catholic Church always presents her as a prostitute, absolutely unscriptural. Mary had been possessed. You can imagine her appreciation and love for the Lord being tormented and not being able to live her own life and being possessed by these demons, and then he set her free completely. Is it any wonder that she was first at the tomb? Jesus instructs Mary in Acts in verse 17. She did not want to lose him again, so she clung to him by the feet in a worshipful manner. Matthew 28 tells us she clung to him. And Jesus tells her not to cling to him, for he had not ascended to his father yet. The reason was not that he could not be touched after the resurrection, for he told Thomas, here's my hands, here's my side, touch me. Jesus tells her to go tell his brethren, the disciples, that he was ascending to his father and her father, to his God and her God. The new relationship had begun in effect. He was their brother, and God was their father. Never did Jesus ever say to any of his disciples or any of the women, our father, meaning them and he. He always said, my father, your father. My God, your God. But never in a corporate setting, our Because he's distinct, he's God himself. The ascension of Jesus seems to have taken place between this account and when Jesus appeared to the ten in the upper room. Now I'm not talking about the ascension 40 days after. Because remember, 1 Peter 3, 19 through 21 says that he first descended to the lowest parts. Colossians 2, 14 says he, he set captives free, made a public display of them and took them to heaven. Okay. So Mary was obedient to her commission here in verse 18. She told the disciples two things, that she had seen the Lord and that she was giving them the words that Jesus told her to give them. She was the mere messenger. You and I are mere messengers. We should never take the responsibility of ministering the gospel to others as if it is our own authority or our own message or that we have to convince people, we communicate what has been given to us with prayer that they would open their heart to God. But it's a personal decision people make. She was only responsible for the message. She's a herald. Notice she departed from the tomb with fear and great joy to the disciples. Matthew 28 tells us this particularly. And she saw that her words were not believed. In fact, they were thought to be kind of a tale in Luke 24, 11. The dirty dozen did not believe the message. At this point, 11, Judas has hung himself. But they did not believe. The women were the last at the cross. The women were the first at the tomb. Easter Sunday was characterized by an empty woman. She was overwhelmed with sorrow but comforted because Jesus rose from the dead. Pastor Xavier Reese has been discussing a central simple truth of Easter of how faith in Jesus rests upon the absolute certainty of an empty tomb. 
Now, you may be interested to know that today's special Easter message can be heard again anytime by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And there's still much more to come of this important study right here next time as well. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. The title to ask for is Jesus Fills Empty Lives. Once again, ask for the in-depth study titled Jesus Fills Empty Lives. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for helping us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And then tell a friend to join us for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese next time right here. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com